If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have a story that is a miracle. And today, I want to help you tell it. If you are not a Jesus follower, then there is no sense hiding the fact that the Christians who love you want to see you come to Jesus. And today, I would love to help you do that. And I pray that today is that day. I want to welcome you to this gathering of Heart of Life today. Whether you're at one of the campuses or mission sites or wherever you may be joining us from online today, I want to thank you for making this a priority and that we could spend some time together. And it's that time, so I'm saying it every chance I get, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We are wrapping up a year-long study of a story that's recorded in the Bible. It's quite a big story. It encompasses two books, the, uh, the Gospel of Luke and then, the, and then the, the, the book of Acts. They actually connect to each other. They are one continuous story of 52 chapters. And today we have arrived at the 50th of those 52 chapters, Acts chapter 26. Now last week, we sort of took a step back, if you will. We, we've been in Acts so long, we just wanted to take a step back and, and, and just make sure that we weren't missing at least four of those gigantic themes that we read in this story. But today, we're picking back up the actual story. Paul is still in the city of Caesarea. He's been there more than two years. He's under arrest, if you will. Um, he's been accused of, of breaking the law. The Jews have accused him of being against the Jews and against God's law and against the temple, but, but no one is able to pin anything on him. Well, in our story today, Paul is being uh, moved into what is described as the, as the audience room, the audience hall. We would say it, it's just a big auditorium in a sense. There is a king there by the name Agrippa, along with his wife, Bernice. We are told there are high-ranking military officials who are filling the room. It is the prominent people of the city of, of Caesarea. We would say this is a gathering of all the who's who in that part of the world. Now, Paul, because he can't get a fair trial in Caesarea, has already made his appeal as a Roman soldier to Caesar's court. He's going to Rome. But in order for Paul to go to Rome, there have to be some charges. Somebody's got to send something with him that he's being accused of. Well, the governor Festus has not, what a great name, has not been able to come up with anything. The governor before him, who was, who was Felix, hasn't been able to come up with anything. And so they're hoping now that King Agrippa happens to be in town, he could help the situation. So Festus hopes this is a solution. Agrippa sees this as curiosity, but Paul, he sees it 
as an opportunity. And so again, as he stands in this big room and all these people, you know what Paul does? He shares his story. And the hero of Paul's story is not Paul. The hero of Paul's story is Jesus. And what we read in chapter 26, this is the third time in the book of Acts that we've read it. Anybody pick up on that? Right? You're going, I think I've read this before. Yeah, this is the third time just in this book. It was introduced in chapter 9 when we actually got Paul's story for the first time. He told it again in its entirety in chapter 22. Now we're in 26. He's going to tell it all again. And I believe it is the picture that what we see Paul doing here is just representative of maybe many more days of his life than we would guess. How many towns did Paul go to? How many churches did he start, right? When he was in Ephesus, we were told he was teaching every day, remember? I mean, how many, how many times has Paul spoken? I would say these examples of Paul telling his story, they are just representative of the hundreds of times he's told his story, maybe thousands of times that he's told his story. So if we're going to take a big step back today, don't miss. God gives us a story to tell. Not just Paul, but God gives us a story to tell. And so today, before I give you something that I think is super practical, that'll help you tell your story, I want us to look at just how incredible your story really is. It is summarized in this 26th chapter of Acts, just a couple of verses. Paul is in the process of of telling Agrippa and everyone else in the room what happened to him on that day on the road to Damascus, the whole blinding light, and right, Jesus shows up. It's a head-on collision with Jesus. And in telling that, he's explaining to them what Jesus said that he would do through Paul. That's what these words are. Acts chapter 26, check out verse 17. This is how it reads. I this is Jesus, will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In that one statement, I mean, there is a declaration that when we look across our world, what is the condition of the world? It is a condition of blind in spiritual darkness. It is a condition of being under the power of an enemy. It is a condition of being guilty of sin. It is a condition of not being a part of the family of God. 
And the Apostle Paul, when we read some of the other letters that he wrote to other churches, he does not leave us in the dark as to why this blindness occurs in the world. 2 Corinthians, for example, chapter 4, it reads this way, the God of this age, that's the enemy, that's Satan, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He says, this is why there's darkness. There is an enemy who blinds. He is the one who lies. He deceives. He, he, he covers. His desire is to steal life from you, is to kill. He blinds. But the good news, the story of the Bible is that God shines light into darkness. What does he shine with? It is the very thing that the enemy attempts to blind to. He shines the light of the good news of the greatness of Jesus. That's what God does. So, if we look at this little text, just two verses here where Paul's saying this is, this, is this, this is the situation, we realize that in every story of a Jesus follower, in Paul's story, in my story, if you are a Jesus follower, I'm saying it is your story, it is a miracle. It's a miracle. Here's why it's a miracle. It is a turning from darkness to light. It is a turning from darkness to light. I, I love the imagery when, when Paul has that head-on collision with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's a bright light that shines, right? This morning, when I was actually driving to this facility, it was, it was kind of a little before 7.30 when I'm making my way this way, and the sun was in my way. You know what I'm talking about? It was in the middle of the road. As I'm, as I'm heading this direction, it was just coming up over the horizon, and it was so bright. It was so big. It looked like a beach ball in the middle of the road. It was actually causing a reflection on the actual road that even if I got my visor low enough to try to block the sun, I couldn't hardly see the road because it was so bright. That is a picture of what happens in the middle of darkness when God shines his light into your life declaring this is who Jesus is. And everything about your life then turns to where your life, your, your love, it flows to the brightness and the beauty of the greatness of Jesus and now you hate Anything that is hidden and hurting and dark, it's a miracle. But he says it's also a miracle because it's turning from the power of Satan to the power of God. People want to declare, nobody owns me. And I want to declare, everybody's owned. Everybody's owned by one of two masters. And what we're talking about here is the miracle that occurs when the light shines into the darkness and the power of an enemy who holds you captive is broken. And we turn to God. It's a miracle. 
It's a turning from darkness to light. It's a, it's a turning from Satan to God. It, it, it is receiving forgiveness of sin, he said. Come on, forgiveness of sin, all sin past, all sin present, all sin future, to be forgiven, that is miraculous. You ever think about it this way? You can't even forgive one of your sins. Like, I can't even forgive one. If I pick one and I just work really hard at it, I could do some other good stuff, but I can't ever forgive one. And yet a God who will supernaturally, he will forgive all my sin. There's a part of me that wonders when Paul got to this statement, did he pause and look at Agrippa? Did he pause and look at Bernice? Because I told you several weeks ago, they were involved in some stuff. It was sinful. They knew it. That whole part of the world knew it. Paul may be on trial this day, but the real situation was Agrippa and Bernice were on trial. But, but get this, Paul isn't slamming them. He's saying, do you realize your sin can be forgiven? It's a miracle. And it's a miracle in belonging with those set apart for God. In the text, it uses the word sanctified. That's a word we don't use anywhere else typically in life except, except in church life. Sanctified means set apart. In this particular case, it's to be set apart for God. It is a transformation happening in my life where it is, it is done with an act, right, that God does, but it is also continual in that he is working in my life. I am forgiven I'm, I am seen as, as holy before him, not because of my righteousness, but because of Jesus, right? But he is also working in me that my thoughts and my action, that my life looks more and more like Jesus. That is a supernatural story. And if you are a Jesus follower, this is your story. Every story of a Jesus follower is supernatural. See, you often think, well, I, I don't have that, you know, been to prison testimony, right? I, I, I actually never, you know, was on drugs. And so you don't have this, what you consider to be the, the, the most, I'm telling you, every single story of a Jesus follower is a supernatural story. Because your sin is not the biggest piece of the story. Jesus is the biggest piece of the story. So when you go from darkness to light, when the power changes from an enemy to God, when you are forgiven of sin and when you belong, it is supernatural. How does this happen? Go back to those two verses and all you have to do is look at the very end. Jesus said, here's how it happens, by faith in me. That's Jesus. The means to this miracle, it is faith in Jesus. The means to this miracle, it is faith in Jesus. Right now, a lot of us at Heart of Life are grieving the loss of a, of a friend. His name's Larry Vass, and um, 
It's been a long time since, honestly, I have seen the effect. Right now, you can pray for Heart of Life because there's a lot of our kids who are wrestling with Larry being gone. And there are a lot of our students who are wrestling with Larry being gone. You know why? Because his impact was so incredibly wide. From the, from the little kids to, to students to an international mission field. His life is impact. Tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock, we are going together, gather back in this facility here, and we are going to celebrate Larry's life. But over the last several days, as I've been processing that myself, I have found myself listening to a particular song that Larry loved. One of them is called Promises by um, Maverick City Music. And the words to the song says, though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn that when you, Jesus, speak a word, it will come to pass. And then this is the line. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm telling you, that's, that is the story. That's Larry's story. And, and it, I'm saying, students, tomorrow we're going we're gonna to wrestle with this some more. We're going we're gonna to keep fighting through this together, and it's going to be okay. You know why it's going to be okay? A faith in Jesus. It is the means by which this miraculous life that we get to live takes place. It is a faith in Jesus by grace through faith in Jesus. It is not my works. It is not my accomplishments. And this faith is more than praying a prayer. This faith is more than me making a decision. Real faith is an eye-opening, God-empowering, sin-forgiving, kingdom-belonging life trust in Jesus. Real faith is my life reflecting that Jesus is my greatest treasure. The reason we're wrestling with Larry not being here is because he lived such a faith. Let's live that. So, one more time, if I look at those two verses, 17 and 18, I don't want you to miss a key piece. We've seen the miracle. We know the means. But look simply what Jesus says. I'm sending you. Paul, I'm sending you. And we have gone too far in the book of Acts for any of us to go, well, Paul was sent, but I'm not sent. No, it only took like two chapters, right, to get into Acts. And he's, he's, he's sending us. We are a sent people, a, a people whose life, uh, it, it is a miracle, right? The means, it is a faith in Jesus. That's how this has taken place and continues to take place. But the mission is, I'm sending you. 
You tell your story. Tell who Jesus is. Tell how you met him. Tell the difference that he makes in your life, but tell your story. Now, let's just go ahead and admit that sometimes when we're telling our story, we get a little nervous. We get a little nervous. Like sometimes when we're talking to people about our story and we're talking to them about Jesus, we get a little nervous. And so one of the things that I have discovered in when you tell your story, sometimes it helps to have what I'm going to call a tool to help you kind of walk through that. Now, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying here today. I am not saying we ever turn this into just some mechanical presentation. No. This is not some mechanical presentation, right, of a, making a sales call where it, where it just, no, this is about a miraculous life. But, but sometimes it helps to have something that kind of keeps you on track. And I'm saying sometimes, especially when you're nervous, back in the day, um, I can remember as a kid, they taught us something called the Roman Road. Anybody ever learned the, it's called the Roman Road? The reason they called it the Roman Road is because it was a series of verses in the book of Romans that helped you to declare this story. Um, Billy Graham had a very famous one called Steps to Peace with God, right? There was a little, little, little track and some things. And, and, and when I was thinking about that track, I, I was remembering back when I, I met Jesus when I was a kid. Um, I was about eight years old when I first told Jesus that I wanted to follow him and and he began to show me all that that meant, right? But I can remember early on in following Jesus, I knew I was supposed to tell my story. I knew it even when I was a kid. And uh, the first person that I ever shared my story with was a kid who lived across the street from us. His name was also Jeff. Jeff Peltz was his name. And I just remember, we, I mean, we played ball outside, we did, and I just, I remember at a young age going, I'm supposed, I'm su- I need to tell him. And so I remember the day it happened in our living room, and, and, and I just simply told him about the time that I had put my trust in Jesus, and I had a track. A track was like this little paper thing that, and you could kind of walk through the, the story, and, and I just kind of walked him through, the, through the, the good news of Jesus, and on that day, Jeff put his trust in Jesus. Within months, his family moved, and I've never seen him again. But heaven's going to be cool. And even as a young boy, I was reminded in that moment, share your story when God tells you to share your story. Like if I had waited a year to share my story, Jeff would have been gone. He was gone. I remember as a kid, I, I would pack my backpack to go to school with tracks, with some of those tracks. The whole track thing was coming back to me this week. And, and I had little packets, you know, and rubber bands, and I had them in my backpack. And every once in a while, I'm telling you, there would just be times where God goes like, are you packing those things around for? Like it's time to share. And one time I remember, and it, this is so weird, the stuff you remember. I remember the classroom. I mean, I'm, I'm in elementary school. I remember the classroom. I remember where I was sitting in the classroom. And it was one of those days that our teacher, I think, was just done with how messy all of our backpacks were. So it was like, we go, this is clean out backpack day. And there were those tracks. And the kids around me started asking what they were. And the teacher made the mistake of asking what they were. And I unpacked one of those tracks for her there and distributed those things to the entire class. 
I'm just saying I knew, even when I was a little kid, you know if this miracle has happened in your life, you are not supposed to hang on to it. It's supposed to be passing. It's supposed to be shared. What I'm going to share with you today, I am not declaring to be the best tool in the world for sharing the good news, all right? Because some of you I know, you have a better tool to do that. Great, use it, all right? I'm the one talking today. This is the one I like to, I just picked this one today because I'm talking, all right? When you're talking, you can pick whatever tool you want to use. But I like this one, one, because it's visual, and I think that's really valuable a lot of the time, especially in the world in which we live today. It can be visual. It's simple in that really if you remember kind of three key things, um, it'll help you walk through it. It's clear, which sometimes isn't always the case, but it's clear and it's versatile. And I'll show you what I mean by that as we walk through it. It's simply called three circles. Um, some of you perhaps have heard of it. Um, some of us we were a part of a, uh, a training, evangelism training class that we did several uh, years ago. Um, my son-in-law actually taught it, and one of the things that he taught was, was three circles. And, um, but today I want to share it with you. So even if you've heard it before, today would be one of those days to refresh. If you never heard it before, I want to encourage you to get it. So for those of you who brought notepads, I, I love those of you that bring and take notes every week. Now's one of those moments that we're going to draw a little bit. Um, if you got a phone, maybe you can do it on your phone. If nothing else, a- as I'm going through it, maybe you can take some pictures and it- it'll give you the visual to help you, all right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through it the way I learned it, um, the way the original, right, the person who kind of developed it, how they did it, and then I'll tell you how I tend to do it, all right? So here's how it works. It starts with the fact that our God has designed a beautiful world. In the beginning, his design, I mean, it was absolutely perfection, right? Not, not just in saying in all of creation, but, but, but for your life, there is a God design. He has a design for how friendships work and how marriage works and, and how how parenting works and how work works and how learning works. He he has a design. And when we are in that design, there's blessing. There's life. But we all, we all have a bent to say, God, I hear what you say, but you know what? I really, I'm going to do it this way. God, I, I hear you say this, but God, I, I, I'm really going to call my own shot on this. God, I'm, you say do this, but I, I'm going to do something different. You say don't do this. I'm going to do it anyway. We, we have this bent to say, I know better than God. And the Bible calls that sin. And come on, the Bible declares it, but we all know it. We all have sinned. And we all fall short of God's design of what he intended it to be. The result of that sin, it is the second circle, brokenness. It is brokenness. There is a brokenness in my relationship with God. 
I have sinned and he has no sin, but there is also just brokenness in my life. That feels like shame and I know it. It feels like I know I'm guilty of some things. It it, it feels at at times like like loneliness. Um, It's brokenness. Now, I don't ever want brokenness, but if there's anything good about brokenness, it's at least the wake-up call that I'm broken and something needs to change. And so what often happens is I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to deal, and I would draw squiggly little lines here, I'm trying to deal with my brokenness. How do we deal with our brokenness? Sometimes I try to dive into a relationship to, to, to not not have to think about the other brokenness in my life. So sometimes it's a, an achievement process of I'm trying to climb some ladder in business or wherever. Sometimes I'm trying to numb the brokenness, right? And so whether it's, you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever, it's something just to numb the pain that I feel. And in all these ways, we are trying to deal with our brokenness. But the truth is we have discovered that I can't fix my brokenness. I can't fix my brokenness. So what I want you to know is that into this situation, there is some super good news. And the Bible uses the term for good news, gospel. Gospel. It literally means good news. The good news It is the story of Jesus. He is God. He is God. And what we celebrate at Christmas time is that that God put on skin, right? He's he's born in Bethlehem. Why would he do that? He came that he would die. But three days later, he arose from the dead. Now, why did he die? He died because in that death, he who is perfect, God did a miracle in that my sin and your sin was placed upon him and he paid the penalty, he paid the price for my sin. Three days later, he arose from the dead declaring that everything he said he could do, he can do. So if he can rise from the dead, then when he says, I forgive you, he can forgive you. When he says, I can bring healing into your brokenness, he can bring the healing into your brokenness. It is good news. Well, how can that happen in my life? The Bible uses two words. It's the word repent and it's the word believe. Repent simply means to turn. It means that I am turning to Jesus I'm turning away from my sin to Jesus and I am believing who he is. He is God who died for my sin and rose from the dead and I am entrusting my life to Jesus. And when I do, There is a reconnection, a recover, and a pursuit again that in my life I can begin to live the design that God has for me. I can begin to live again the design that brings blessing to my life. It brings life to my life, not death.
so where are you? In brokenness? Or in God's design? And is there anything that is keeping you today from turning and believing in Jesus? I like this little tool. Because for me, I, I, it just helps me to, to be visual, for one. I, I like the fact that there's, there's just three circles, really. So if you can remember God's design and, and you can remember brokenness, and if, if you can't remember the word gospel, remember Jesus, right? That'll, sometimes I even write the word Jesus in, in that, that circle when I'm, when I'm doing it. Now, here's what I love about it. You could really start with any of the three circles, and I'm going to say to you, I, most of the time, don't start here. I often start here. And the reason I start with brokenness is because that is typically the topic of the conversation that I'm having with whoever it is. And so the goal is to turn every conversation to a gospel conversation. That's what Jesus did, right? He, he could be at a well drawing water, but the next thing you know, it's about living water that, that is eternal. He knew and modeled for us how to turn any conversation into a gospel conversation because you got a story to tell. It is a miracle. Tell it. So a lot of times I'll just start with brokenness because that's what we're having a conversation and it's a marriage that's struggling or or it's, it's something, uh, a parent who is struggling with a circumstance with their kid or, or somebody's wrestling with an addiction or whatever it is. It's, it's brokenness. Come on, right now, even if somebody's not talking about their personal brokenness, the whole world's talking about how broken it is. Anybody's looking around right now going, man, this is a mess. And all of a sudden... You can turn that conversation into a conversation of hope. You can start right there. You go, yeah, this, this is a mess. This is a mess. And isn't it weird all the different ways that we're trying to deal with this mess? Isn't it weird how our world's trying to figure out how to solve the problem, da-da-da-da-da, and, and eventually, you know, but that's not how it's always been. That's not how God intended. God didn't intend for it to be this way. It's not how he created it, and one day it won't be that way again. So you can work from, from the brokenness to say God's design is that it not be broken, and guess what? That's the good news. Here's who Jesus is. You can work from brokenness. This time of year, you can even work straight from Jesus because this time of year people talk about Christmas, right? And so they're talking about uh, Jesus a little more in terms of the world is than, and so you can just raise the conversation straight from Jesus. Hey man, have I ever told you what Jesus means in my life? Do you know who he is? Boom, boom, boom. He is God. He died for our sin. He rose from the dead. Well, why would he do that? Our brokenness. And then you get into, man, because we all, we all know this brokenness. We know the shame. We know the guilt. We know, and isn't it amazing how we've all tried different ways to deal with it? 
I, I love this little tool because it, it works with adults, certainly. It, it, with students, you just change what, how you try to deal with the brokenness. Right? There, there are different ways that different ages attempt to deal with the brokenness. But it's the same beautiful story. Same beautiful story. I love the fact that you can just tell this story in a general way. Hey, the world is broken. Here's how the world deals with it. Or suddenly you can inject your story here and you're able to say, let me tell you about my brokenness. Let me tell you about the hurt that I experienced in my life and let me tell you about how I tried to deal with it and I discovered that I can't change my brokenness but let me introduce you to one who could. You you can suddenly be personal. You don't have to just do three circles like it's a script. It can become your story in terms of how you deliver it. Now, let me, let me read um, another text, and then we're going to wrap this up. But I want to read a little more of the text from Acts chapter 26. Because at the end of this story, as Paul is sharing his story, Agrippa speaks these words. Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Paul's saying, I I don't want you to be arrested. I hope you don't experience this this kind of uh, of struggle, but I I want you to be, and I don't, I, I, I pray to God. I wanted you to see that today because I want to encourage you. Prayer is such a critical part of sharing your story. Prayer is a critical part of sharing your story. Because what we're talking about here is not something you're pulling off. It's something God is pulling off. This, this is not a miracle you're doing. This is, this is not all about how smooth this, this presentation is for you. This is about the Spirit of God changing someone from the inside out. And so don't just tear off into life sharing your three circles or whatever tool you're going to use and telling your story without prayer. And I want to encourage you, pray specifically. Like Paul's saying, Agrippa, I'm praying for you. You know Paul's calling him by name when he prays for him every night in that that cell that he's kept in. He's praying for Agrippa and he's praying for Bernice. And he's praying, you know he prayed for Felix and for Festus. pray Pray for people. This is the way I describe it. Pray for people by name and then be ready to share with whoever God gives you. Because just because you haven't been praying for them by name doesn't mean you don't share... My point is not, hey, somebody enters a conversation with you and you're like, ooh, I can't can't share with them because I haven't prayed specifically for them. No, you, you can if you've been praying specifically for people and whoever God may enable you to encounter. Don't neglect prayer because it's the relationship with God. Second, don't be afraid to practice. 
don't be afraid to practice. You're like, that sounds mechanical. Well, it doesn't have to be mechanical. It'll actually be less mechanical if you practice, and then as you enter those conversations that are going to happen, you will be able to relax more and actually tell your story and it not be so mechanical. You practice everything else in your life that's important to you that you want to get better at. You practice everything else in your life that's important to you that you want to get better at. Well, I'm going to say there's not anything more important than this story, this miracle that God has done in your life and you sharing it. Don't be afraid to practice. You are about to step into some opportunities in this season, right? It's Christmas, and that means families are going to be gathering um, opportunities for people to be together. I, I want just throw out a couple of things. Some of you are going to have family to your home. You're going to have like the family gathering and everybody's going to come to, you, to your house, right? Let me remind you of something. It's your house. <laughs> Which means you can do what you want to do at your house. It is not a crazy stretch that maybe, you know, after dinner together or before you're going to open some gifts or whatever, like some of you may already have a habit of reading the Christmas story, you know. Well, how about you just go ahead and take a step further and just say, you know what? You guys are my family. I love you like crazy. Can I just tell you this story? And you begin to tell your story, maybe using the three circles, and you just unpack that truth. You're like, oh, man, Jeff, you're talking about my family, man. What, what, what if they reject, like, the ham's not going to taste quite so good if they're, if they're mad at me because I'm rejecting? Let's just be truthful. Come on, man. I, I get it. They might. But do we realize what hangs in the balance here? If my concern about conflict, right, if my concern about being, you know, rejected in a sense, they're mad at me for doing this, if that is a greater concern in my life than their eternity, then I actually love me more than I love them. If keeping the peace is the greater concern than a peace for all of eternity for them, then I actually love me more than I love them. I, I get it. I know. Paul could tell you he's in chains when he's telling this story this time. So I'm not sitting here pretending like every time you share your story, everybody's going to pat you on the back and go, I'm so glad you did that this year. I don't know if they're going to do that or not. I just know you got a story that's a miracle. And it's a miracle that God intends to be shared. Some of you could invite some people. Next Sunday is actually our Christmas service. So invite some people next Sunday. And then afterwards, you could take them to lunch, tell them the story. Do three circles. I mean, just how, how would we, why would we not do that on such an occasion where we're celebrating God putting on flesh and stepping into this world, doesn't somebody want to know why? 
It's a natural conversation to just say, I have never shared this with you, but I care more about you than I have let you know. And this is one of the ways. Here's the truth about Jesus. Now, Christmas Eve, uh, that was mentioned earlier, Christmas Eve service. We're, we're doing it at 5 o'clock so that it lets people be a part of that. It, it, those are never more than 45 minutes usually. It definitely under an hour. That way by 6 o'clock you're off to your home with, with families and whatever. We want to do it where everybody could be a part of that. Invite somebody to that and then afterwards you're able to follow it up with, hey, I've never told you the greatest story that I know. It's good that you are nice people, right? God wants us to be kind. It's good that you're kind and nice to friends and family. Keep on treating people right, but every once in a while, we need to be reminded that our mission is bigger than that. You being nice doesn't introduce anybody to Jesus. You being nice gives an opportunity for you to speak into their life. But you being nice doesn't introduce them to Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have a story that is a miracle. Tell it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then there is no sense in hiding the fact that Christians who love you want to see you come to Jesus. Is there anything today that is keeping you from coming to him? Say, how do I do that? Well, it's in that visual of, God, I know I've sinned. God, I know that I have broken what you said do and don't do, and I know that the result of that is a brokenness in my life. I can feel it, I know it, and I've tried to fix it, but God, today I'm turning to Jesus. And today, Jesus, I'm declaring that I believe who you are, that you died for my sin, that you arose from the dead, and I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to be my king. He'll hear you. He'll hear you. And the result, it's a miracle. So I'm going to pray for us to close us out today. We're not going to sing any songs at the end today. Um, we'll be back next week and we'll be singing Christmas songs and having a good time. But today, it was like, you know what? I, today, I don't know that we need to sing any more songs. Today, we need to go tell our story. If you really want to be bold, you might stick around for a few minutes after I say amen. And, and, and you don't have to, just so you know, we're not going to lock the doors in five minutes from now. So you don't have to run if you don't, if you don't want to run out wherever you are. You could stick around or maybe somebody that you know and like try the three circles. Terror. Doesn't have to be. Just make a deal with somebody. Hey, you don't have to be perfect at this if I don't have to be perfect at this on the first try. But just talk about, maybe talk about the three circles. Hey, how, can, can you see this and how do you do it? And then walk through it. You practice everything else in your life that's valuable to you. Don't be afraid to practice it. Whatever you want to do. If you got to go, you can practice it later. I just encourage you to maybe run through it sometime today again before it just 
please, and then start praying. Specific people, and then get ready. Get ready. Merry Christmas. I'll pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. God, thank you for Paul's story (laughs) that you give to us again and again in this most remarkable book. And um, just that picture of a man who who knew the miracle of his story, and he shared it just absolutely every chance that he got. And what, what we might see as a moment of he's, he's on trial, he sees it as an opportunity to share. God, would you give us that same perspective, no matter what we're going through, no matter what the struggles may be. God, every day you give us, every breath you give us, it is a chance to speak of you. So God, I pray for these who have heard my voice today. God, I pray for these who have heard your voice today, what you're calling them to do, where you're calling them to share. I pray that by your spirit, you would empower them. God, in the end, may people put their trust in you. May your greatness be seen in the whole earth. For some of us, that may start in our living room this Christmas over a cup of coffee. God, may your greatness be known. Will you bless your people? In your name I pray, amen.